0: Good morning to you all. Um, <laughs> Pastor James is on his sabbatical, so you know I endeavor to um, use him while he's not here, and use him 10 years. This is my opportunity in the next three months to use 10 years of um, um, sermon illustration, just using, making fun of him a little bit while he's not here. <laughs> now, today, I wanted to focus on what do I teach. I taught two weeks ago on at the retreat, and uh, we talked about humility. Um, I want to continue that. I remember I had about 23 pages of notes. I cut that down to about 18 for that sermon. So I got that other five page back, because so I, I saved the file in my home computer. So I had that file back, and I want to look reflect upon the other side. The flip side of the coin is of humility is pride. Knowing and killing pride, because... Without us dealing with pride, we can't attempt to be humble. So to the degree that, so the, maybe the outlook on life is not perhaps focus on humility. Maybe the outlook is to focus on killing pride in our lives. Okay. So it's like in sports. You know, I, don't, I only know of few, very few things in life, and sports is one of them. You know, it's like they say, the best defense is the best offense. If you have a bad op- defense, let's keep them off the field. Let's stay on offense the whole time. And that's the best way to deal. If you have a difficult time dealing with humility, deal with your pride first. Deal with, let's deal with our pride first, you know. So his analogy. Here's my analogy number one of James Shin. Like, James is a, of all the years I've known him, he's passionate about things. There's things that he loves, he just loves. For one example, some of you know, older members know, like, garlic pork, number nine. At, James likes a dish, and he eat, he'll eat it for like nine years straight. And he's passionate about that, and he wants everybody else to eat it. So, like, everybody goes in, they, their expectations are here, and they go, and they're all disappointed. And, then, and it's like that with James. You know one thing you all know? That he likes the Lakers. He's passionate about the Lakers. Those of you who have been with Lakers Laker games with James, he goes kind of crazy. It's kind of... Somewhat embarrassing, you know? (laughs) So it's like, we get four seats, I try to stay on the other side, you know? So, because he goes crazy, he starts yelling at the players and everybody, especially when we're up close. He's more dangerous. So he's like passionate about these things. Where he just loves things. But at the same time, if you love something, okay, we talked about this, uh, some of the brothers do. If you love something, you know, it's like if you're a Laker fan, you can't be a Clipper fan at the same time. Right? If you're a a Trojan, you're not a Bruin. I mean, you root against... I remember I had a professor in college. He said... He went to UCLA. He said he has two favorite teams. It's the Bruins and anyone who's playing the Trojans. You know? So it's like that. You, you either like the Dodgers or, you, you, or the Angels. You don't like both, okay? So to me, I'm a Dodger fan. I go to more games. Like Dodger Stadium is way too far for me. So I go to more Angel games. When I go there, it's just purely recreation, family outing for me. I don't... <laughs> It's just enjoyment of sport, not my... If they lose, it's rarely a big deal. Where I usually leave right after the seventh inning stretch. I'm gone. If they win or lose after that, no, no sleep lost here. At the same time, so therefore, if you, like I said this at the retreat, if you love freedom, if you truly love freedom that you enjoy in this country, you should hate slavery or any bondage of people. If you love... Children, you would hate the fact that children get abused in this world. Okay? You can't like, you can't love the same. Okay? Therefore, at the same time, spiritually, uh, the topic of this morning, so if you truly love God, if you truly strive to be humble in our lives, we have to hate what God hates: this pride. Okay? Because. Proverbs 8.13 says, I hate pride and arrogance. God opposes a man with prideful attitude. And he'll eventually, Bible, God promises, there's things that God promises to do, and this is one of them. God promises to bring down the prideful. Isaiah 2.12 says, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is pride and lofty. That's a promise. God's hatred of pride for pride is pure because He loves the flip side. He hates pride, but He loves, He seeks out, He meets those who are humble. He gives grace to the humble. So it's a reflex. God and love, the reflex of God's love is inclined to humility. and Pastor James said it at the retreat we really can't love one another even husband and wife in the church, brothers and sisters a proud man a proud person is lying when they tell you they love you without humility in the church humility is the engine that makes love go because what happens is like an engine in your cars. If you try to love somebody without humility, it'll just burn. It'll overheat. You can't do it for a long period of time or any, truly any length of period of time. Humility allows that love to pump. You know, humility it may be a journey for all of us, I'm sure it's for all of us, of uh, thousands of miles, that perhaps, what I want to talk about today, is that maybe that, thousand mile journey, starts, begins with that first step, is to deal with our pride first. Because obviously, you know, humility is so difficult to find in this world, even in, in our church and the all, universal church in general. It's hard to find because humility can only survive in the presence of God by God's grace. Because when God goes, when God's grace goes, humility goes. When God is neglected, when God is put in the second place, or in the secondary position, when something else. Usually man's self-interest takes that first place. Humility goes and pride rises. It's a modern day atmosphere, even in modern churches. The atmosphere is that it is hostile to humility. But the Bible tells us, Micah 6, eight: Walk humbly with your God. Pride is the very enemy of humility. You know, there is no way to cure this issue of pride uh, pride in our lives is to first start with brokenness. It's good, you know, to have a broken heart. Humble heart is a broken heart. This is why James 4, 6 says, Therefore God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility feels Sense of no power, no value, no worth. Humility leaned towards God and relies on His sovereignty, it exalts Him, and thinks less of ourselves and highly of God. C.J. Mahini writes One of the great aspects of humility is that it gets God's attention. Remember, I shared this? Is that Isaiah 66 2 says, This is one to whom I will look to, he who is humble and contrite in the spirit. He will find, He will look for those who are humble. He promises that. Humility draws the gaze of our sovereign God. And that's a promise. But one thing funny about humility is that once we think we're humble, we're no longer humble. Once we think we're humble, that's pride. Right. So the best thing to do is to never know that we're humble. To continue to think that we are prideful. That's humility. So when we live in the darkness, the shadow of pride. But we try to humble our hearts by knowing and facing the fact every day when we look into our mirrors in the morning, we look at it and say, I'm a prideful man. I'm a prideful person. I need to be broken it's good that i 'm broken it's good that i'm suffering because it deals with what God hates. So I taught on first Peter five last time and I want to just quickly touch base so i'll give you a basis for the launch, launching point of today's lesson is that first peter five one through seven one through four deals with the elders and leaders how to lead and deals with and verse four deals with young men specifically then Peter tells both groups to be humble in verses 6 to 7. Right. He tells the elders and leaders to lead humility, show humility by leading well, not doing it for gain, serving others, to, to lead them, not lording over them, not dom, be tyrant or domineering, but lead humbly. Now this is one of the reasons why we don't have midweek uh, Bible studies. We don't call it Bible studies for a reason. We have midweek flocks that are shepherds. The leaders are not Bible study leaders. They're shepherds. Their main job is to shepherd your heart. And this is what Peter tells you to do. Right? We want to focus on your hearts. If we believe that there is enough teaching on your daily reading that you should be filled with the Word. How do you apply that in your lives? That's the difficult, right? Well, that's where the rubber meets the road. When the flesh is so hard that it's difficult for us to what we know we don't do what we ought we don't do, and so we the leaders and shepherds and pastors and elders endeavor to shepherd you and lead you this way by shepherding your heart. then verse five talks about verse five six and seven talks about um, young men to be submit uh, be in submission to the leaders, talking about literal young men, the young men are uh, more tend to be um, headstrong, they, def- they defy leadership. They're aggressive in nature, rebellious. Because young rebellious young men are detriment to Christ's church. Humble young men are definitely a blessing to God's church. Then he says, "Clothe yourself with doctrine." Or, Clothe yourself with humility. "Clothe" is word. There is an active verb. Putting on. An attitude of humility. Then it says to trust, casting all our anxieties upon God, because He cares for you. That's another sign of a humble person who is able to pray and lay all their burdens upon the Lord, instead of trying to do on things on their own. Is casting our anxieties as part of humbling ourselves. Casting our anxieties not is not a simple. Uh, that's simply a separate thing that we do after we humble ourselves. It is the very act of humbling ourselves. So let's deal with pride. What God hates most. What God hates most. You know, one thing I don't worry about this church, I don't worry about false teachers coming here and taking this pulpit and teaching whatever. False doctrine. Okay. And I don't think, well, I don't worry about this church becoming a not unwelcoming church. I don't worry about this church where we will forgo the ordinance of God, that we forget to practice communion for a year, forget to baptize people, and lose that edge. The biggest, one single biggest threat to Cornerstone is not a style of worship. Any of these things, the biggest threat to Cornerstone is pride. It starts with the leaders. I'm down and I myself am full of pride. It is something that this, this creature inside me is just alive and well every day. And I'm sure all of you could deal with that. All of you could understand that. Because I address the, address the leaders first because you leaders, men, Shepherds, pastors and elders are men of conviction that 's why you 're in your positions anyway, because you you men stand and you stand on biblical convictions, but at the same time at the same time, we can have pride where our opinions there 's a fine line between convictions and personal opinions and preferences lie it is paper thin and the flip side of that paper, one single sheet of paper is between conviction and pride. And I am susceptible to that. Entire leadership, every one of us is, is can become under the power, the weight of pride. And that's that razor thin. You know, pride, we see in the Old Testament, I'll read off some, and there's a lot more, but try to... I'm, giving you the gravity of how God feels about pride which is the most important view is in Psalm 101 David speaks speaks for God saying man of haughty looks and arrogant heart I will not endure Proverbs 11:2 when pride comes then comes dishonor when the humble is but with the humble is wisdom Proverbs 16:5 five, 5 everyone who is arrogant is an abomination to the Lord Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride goes before destruction, haughty spirit before stumbling. Now there's another promise, pride and destruction. Okay. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, a man's pride will bring him low, and humble spirit will obtain honor. And it goes on. Okay, I don't have to. There's many more, but it goes on. And New Testament, one of the words. Pride conveys is an idea of blindness or suggests the idea of one who's just enveloped in smoke. Just fog, you know, fog of things where the vision is only a couple feet out and you can't see yourself through. And that's the state of your heart when pride takes over. Pride wins or gains no crown, uh, crowns. Men don't like prideful people. How many of you, raise your hand if you like people? A lot of friends who are prideful and you love them because they're pride. Nobody likes pride in other people, but we all have it. Isn't that the funniest thing? We don't like having dinners and going out with prideful people or show, display prideful attitudes. But we all have it. It gets one definition of pride, maybe mindset of self, focus on self, and service of self, and pursuit of self, and exaltation of self. Desiring to control all things by self. Pride consists of attributing to ourselves and demanding ourselves to honor privileges, prerogatives, rights, power. You know, maybe pride is such a difficult thing and such a strong thing, because it is hard to discern the corruption of pride in its very nature. When a person has too high opinions of self, we don't really know because it's in their hearts. And sometimes it comes through. You know, maybe we went through an entire weekend of the one another's. Maybe the, the opposing again, the opposition to practicing one another's, what stands in its way is pride. Why can't we evangelize? Why are we afraid to sh- proclaim the gospel to unbelievers on the streets? Fear man? That's pride. I'll talk about that a little bit more. Pride is self-idolatry, self-worship. Remember what Spurgeon said? I read this quote. I'll read the parts of it here. It, said, it is the worst form of mal- malformation of the monstrous thing in creation. It is altogether very reverse of creatures which God has made, which are pure and holy. Pride is firstborn of hell. Thomas Watson wrote, Man is nat- naturally a pride, proud piece of flesh. Sin runs in the blood. It is spiritual drunkenness. It flies up like wine into the brain intoxicates it. It is idolatry. A proud man is a self-worshipper. Right? Someone wrote, I read this week, a proud person is a pastor. I can't remember the name. A proud person erects an idol for himself and he looks at the mirror and sings How Great Thou Art every morning. His right? pride is an arrogant self-worship. Right? We see in Isaiah 14 the motivation behind Lucifer's rebellion. What is the root cause there? It's pride thinking equality with God or sometimes even greater contending with God it it opposes God in God's very nature it is wicked again the question is not how much do I have Um, the question is not do I have pride it's how much do we have and what are some sources of pride what are some sources what leads us to more pride in our lives we all have it I think one is circumstantial prosperity, blessings even from God. You know, give a man wealth, let him stand among men and be a successful merchant. Pride will be there. That person is charged with pride. And David said this In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. But we see David's downfall as well. He creeps in sometimes. Pride creeps in in the the best things in our lives. Even successes. Even our families. Even our children. Even our education. Even our success in our professional careers. Pride creeps in. Most successful people are challenged with pride. More, you're, you're challenged with pride more. Another source of pride is spiritual pride. The worst kind of pride, right? Spurgeon said this. Don't be proud of your race or your place or your grace. The worst thing to be proud of is God's grace in your life. That is the most ridiculous thing, right? If you think about it. Jonathan Edwards writes, First and worst cause of error that abounds in our day is the age of spiritual pride. This is the main door at which the devil comes in to our hearts. Spiritual pride. And if anything, by grace, we've been saved. Therefore, if anything, we should be humbled by that. Right? You know, Instead of being thankful, people are judgmental. You know, even Cornerstone. And I see sometimes this creep up in our lives, including me. Do so you feel blessed to be at Cornerstone? Are you thankful to be at Cornerstone? But let's be careful, that turns into pride. We have such a superior sometimes mindset to other saints from other churches. That's pride. Let's go to the other side. Is that Those of you who are leading well, who are good evangelists, good leaders, good teachers, but let's be careful not to believe everything people tell us and be prideful that we're good servants, we're good preachers. Again, pride creeps in even in the best of things because a humble person understands grace. Humble leader understands grace. If Cornerstone is growing, it's in spite of everyone else. It's because of God's grace. It's not because of individuals. Let's not forget that. Because when we're praised by others for even the best of things, it's easy to start believing in that because we're sinful. that we pray that God allows us to do something, it is by God's grace. Whatever we accomplish, it is by God's grace, and we are to be grateful. Often, pride is proportional to the success in our field or area of endeavor, even in the ministry of the gospel, and it challenges us there. Even in the ministry of the gospel, pride creeps in, and the leaders are most susceptible to that because then we could turn to what John records in John 12 for they love the praise of men rather than praise of God because a preacher who stands in this pulpit is preaching to one person only first is God everything else is secondary so what is the consequences of pride because God opposes the pride and he hates pride he resists the prideful it is destruction it is destruction. Because the proud man will be brought low. This is by Bible. I'm not saying Bible. God confirms this. God promises this. It's not something we need to be to dabble in. It is like, we've seen storms. This is a storm season, right? In the near Gulf, in the eastern seaboard. We've seen the last couple of years. Destruction like when Katrina or Gustav and now Ike goes through when these things come off seas, you could see it coming. And what it does, when there's 100 plus miles of, uh, of, of wind coming through, and there's a ton of precipitation behind it, it'll leave destruction. It's, they could see it coming, right? We all watch the news. You see the storm watches. And it comes, and you could see the damage. They could predict kind of damage. And usually, it is worse than what you'd imagine. Right? And that's the same with pride. If destruction is promised because God promises that that will happen. The sin of pride, maybe the first of the deadly sins, will have its effects and it will leave you destroyed. It leaves a church destroyed, leaves families, leaves families destroyed. It will cause destruction upon the land. Now that's the ultimate reason for the unbelieving heart. Those who turn away from the gospel, what's the main cause? It is pride. It is pride. What is the most difficult thing about submitting? The reason is pride. So I want to give you, the rest of our time today, eight applications. Um, I don't think they're anything new, but that's a good reminder for us. Four positives and four negatives. more Four to-dos, four not-to-dos of dealing with pride in our lives. How do we deal with pride? I believe we could do these things, eight things as a church, as individuals. I think we could truly make great progress toward this endeavor of being a humble church. Number one, dealing with our pride serve others with a pure heart. Serve the church with a pure heart. Peter calls the leaders and elders in 1 Peter 5 to lead humbly. Right? The authority does not come with the office. authority comes with the work and authority comes from God. The biblical leader's greatness is that he serves. The greatness of a husband is that he serves. Serves his wife. The greatness of a father is that he serves his children. Look for ways to serve. It's a hallmark of a servant attitude, it's humility. Look for ways to serve. Look for ways to serve in many areas. There's many areas that there's cornerstone has needs. And many of you are very good servants. And we're thankful for that. That you sacrifice yourself. And then continue on to serve one another. Number two, forgive others. To me, humility is one of those things. And, maybe, and forgiveness, forgiving heart. There's nothing more that displays the likeness of Christ than humility and forgiveness two greatest attributes of God, when we have a glimpse of that in our lives, no more are we more like God than when we do these things. It emulates God's character. But why is forgiving so hard? When someone wrongs us, even if they come to us and ask for forgiveness, why is it so hard? Because our nature, our depraved nature, is by nature we're not humble, by nature we're not forgiving it is hard it is difficult i would say forgiveness is not within ourselves in our nature it is not within our capacity but only by the grace of god we can forgive others it's like faith when faith truly works when faith goes into action it forgives it is one of the most contrary characteristics of humans is forgiveness it doesn't come easy But what happens when when there are unforgiving spirits, unforgiving people in the church? What happens to them? What happens to the church? I think they are one unfit for communion. If you can't forgive, you shouldn't attend worship. Right? Fellowship. Everything gets difficult. Everything they are not fit for. It is not edifying. Is discouraging. Other Christians are affected. Not only are you affected, other Christians are affected by your anger and bitterness that runs deep because of self-centeredness and pride. We, have, we need to check this part of our lives. Is do we have an unforgiving heart to other saints in the same worship? What does the Bible say? You should take that brother or sister out. Reconcile before you come into worship because you're unfit to worship God. Forgiveness is an integral part of Christians' new nature. We have also, at the same time, the obligation, duty to forgive. There's another way to fight pride is to be able to forgive others more easily. Number three is... Takes prayer seriously. Often enough, nothing. Another one that challenges cornerstone is. Perhaps we don't pray enough, and perhaps we don't pray enough because, we don't take it seriously enough. Right? Again, this is the main cause. I, I, I'm not. Don't raise your hands. If I ask you today, do you are you, confident with your prayer life? If I ask you to raise your hand. Very few people raise your hands, and those people who raise their hands are very prideful, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but very few will. Realistically, I would say that, you know, being honest, all of you would have a difficult time with our prayer lives. Why? Same reason. Because we're prideful. We could do things on our own. That's the bottom line. We could figure things out on our own. Right? You don't take God and prayer. When you don't take prayer seriously, you're not taking God seriously. You're not taking the word of God seriously because Bible tells you to pray. right? We should be humble enough. The creatures that we are, we are depraved, saved by grace, by the cross of Christ, yet we don't pray. That's pride. We don't take the word of God seriously enough. Cornerstone endeavors to keep God's word high and then put a high view on God Tell me that's true in your lives. Okay. I think when prayer is not taken seriously, we're functional degenerates. We're functional unbelievers. Practical unbelievers when we don't take prayer seriously. Even a couple minutes, five minutes of our lives, we're functional unbelievers because we could do it our own. What is the difference? It is unbelief. Lack of confidence, whatever you want to call it, in prayer and in God and in the Word of God and its promises, it all comes from pride. Why do we worry? The verse itself it says, "Cast your anxieties upon the Lord." Instead, we worry. Right in First Thessalonians five sixteen, be joyful always, pray continually. You know, there are many excuses for not praying. Too busy. Many times it's just failing to plan to pray. Okay, we'll see. If I get time, I'll pray. Okay. Maybe sometimes they're too you're too angry to pray. Too bitter to pray. Too bitter toward church to pray. Too bitter to toward others in the church so you can't pray. Maybe too ashamed of sin. I can understand that a little bit. Being too ashamed. But then being too ashamed... And not praying is not understanding the mercy seat of God. Right? The cross of Christ covered it all. The greatest thief is the glory of Christ on the cross. That covered it all. Regardless of sin. What type of sin? God knew and He forgave. And you were able to do that. You know, I think one thing I learned... Um, Fof2. I'm going to give a plug for Fof2 whenever we happen next time. Is that what we learned to do is we write out our prayers and you know, we've reviewed our prayers written out. I think that was very good practice. You know, write out our prayers. Meditate as you type. Not to you physically write. Most of us, I think, wrote on the computer. Write out our prayers. We pr- planned to pray at a certain time. We kept each other accountable for that. So in your small groups, now how is your prayer time? So how much? No, let's get real and say, maybe say my suggestion is maybe have a stopwatch. Everybody in the small group, see what how long you pray. Start with that. Let's start with the basics, fundamentals, and start working up. If you are we are having a difficult time praying, let's not let's deal with this functional unbelief. Okay, number four, the last of the. Um, the positive group to do is strive for content, contentment All right shepherding our hearts to be content and because con- contentment is an elusive thing it's not the natural propensity of man it comes into contentment comes with expectations comforts possessions because we often think about how much we don't have how much we want to have we contentment focuses upon Being satisfied, and to our flesh, we tend to be. Because due to our flesh, we tend to be not content people. Right? If you think about it, you know. More. Do you have more contentment when you have more? Right? No. You're more discontent when you have more. So in the history of things in all redemptive history, and even history of mankind to this point, we are living in the most discontented generation in the world, and we're living in the most discontented region of the world. And most difficult, discontented people, in terms of demographics, we are in. Most highly educated, highly affluent, living in Orange County, this contentment, issue of contentment is just Real. For all of us. Because okay? most of us. Don't live. Get up in the morning. And say. I'm rich. I'm rich first. Because I have salvation. I have Christ. I'm rich because. I have church. And brothers and sisters. Who love me. And who would pray for me. I'm rich. Because I have a job. I'm rich. Because I could go to wherever I'm working. And work hard. And I'll be. I'll get my due and I'll be paid my wages. You know, I've been in enough places in the world, not everywhere, but enough places in the world. Like the companies I'm involved in is we're in manufacturing. We've seen manufacturers, manufacturing sites all over the world. right? You know, Even the lowest paid wages worker in the factory workers at least minimum 10 $12 an hour. If you make $10,000, $10 an hour, it adds up to a lot at the end of the day that's over $20,000 per year. If you just don't even work overtime. Average Chinese factory worker makes $150 a month. That's a little over $1,000, right? Less than $1,500 a year to live on. You know? There's a billion Chinese, but there's, most of them are very poor. Very poor. Most More Chinese people live in poverty than the entire population of the United States. Entire population. More Chinese, just one group, one ethnic group lives in poverty. Right. But I think put things into perspective. So We complain about $4 a uh, gallon of gas. Peter was telling me, Peter Smith, if you count their leaders, they count as $9 in the Czech Republic average factory worker in Czech Republic makes less than half of what U.S. workers make. And we're discontent. They put things into perspective. And so we are so challenged. This is one of the things we have to do with Philippians 4. We need to be satisfied with little. Right? We need to be satisfied with little. And Philippians 4.11, not that I speak of what I want, I learn to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. Paul writes, The need is the number one value system in this country. Hierarchy is the need, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I need. It's all about needs all the way up. And highest is self-actualization. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Right? And it's fed to us every day. I shared this with you, right? The Cartoon Network targets the group. You know, age group tar- Cartoon Network targets now is 18 to 35. Because kids like Nolan, he doesn't have any money. He's at my mercy. He has to get somehow, you know, strike a deal with me to buy a toy. So what they do is, they want people who have buying power, buying business, it's 18 to 35. More The target group is 18 to 35 Cartoon Network. All right. And what do they do in commercials? Because you could see, you ever watch Cartoon Network with your kids? During commercial time, what happens? Commercial, I think is more. There's like 40 minutes of commercial an hour, and 20 minutes of cartoon. It goes, and you could see a child and say, "Oh, I want that. I want that." Every time new thing comes out, I want that to have that, have this. <laughs> it's like challenges contentment, being satisfied with very little. Modern day media. This feeds into that, and feeds into that. So Paul also says, instead, um, even in difficult, even our circumstances, let's not depend upon our circumstances, but be content with whatever we have. And you know, There's no virtue of being poor. So when we're driven by needs, the pride leads us there. Because okay. contentment is also, remember the flip side is contentment is a byproduct of our distress difficulties struggles when we're in the valleys we could be more content right? when you don't have a job you just want to have a job so you could make your you could earn money so you could at least meet the basics right when you, when you don't know when the next picture, when it's, where it's coming from, how you're going to feed your children, you just, you just want a job. Perhaps we need to live with that mentality all the time. So let's deal with the last four, not to do's. Again, number one from that passage is in First Peter five, not to be anxious. Genuinely tr- uh, tr- trust God. Verse seven, casting our anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. You know what Peter knew two things. Peter knew two things, right? I think Peter knew two things very well and he was an expert apostle on this area. So if you had, go to an apostle and say, hey, which apostle should I talk about? Pride and anxiety? I think it would have been Peter, right? You know, imagine Peter denied the Lord three times because of his pride and that night when Christ was captured and he, his eyes met the Lord when then he was reminded when the rooster crowed and he reminded him It was reminded to him about his pride. He was broken. And I think it's so important that Peter tells us to humble humble ourselves. And anxiety, right? Remember in um, um, Matthew 14, what did Jesus do? Because Peter was this kind of guy. He's a lot of fleshy guy. He liked to take action. When the Romans came, what did he do to capture Jesus? He just took action, right? He just sometimes would think first. do things first and think later, and kind of analyze what I did wrong, type of guy, right? Then when Jesus told them to walk on water, what did he do? He fell. He didn't make it because he worried. He didn't trust God. He didn't trust Christ. So he knows pride, anxiety, worrying. He knew all about that. He knew all about pride. That that is the root of anxiety. It's, as John Piper wrote, is that, that I, I remind myself all the time when I'm anxious is, is your worries, your anxieties are meant to be casted upon the Lord. It belongs to God. What are you doing with it? Right. It is unnecessary. worrying. is unnecessary because of God. Because worrying doesn't accomplish anything. There's most, there's no, spiritually, completely unproductive. So we need to cast it upon the Lord. Number two in that list, and number six overall, dealing with pride, killing pride is not fearing man. Fear of man. Fear of man is one of the highest forms, highest mark of pride. If fear shouts to you, don't do that, people will laugh at you, you'll get an egg on your face, you'll be humiliated. Galatians one ten. Paul writes, For do I now persuade men or God Or do I seek to please men? For I have yet to please men and I should not be a servant of men but Christ. You know, this world and many in this church, many of us are not immune to this and we deal with this disease of pleasing men and its folly is folly of pleasing men. Men don't respect other people who fear other men. Men respect people who stand on their own. I'll give you an example. Derek, a couple of years ago, had a baseball coach. He was, on, was playing, and this guy, his name was Doug. He's one man I always think about when he has no fear of man. This a man, who's in the bleachers, he'll yell at every player on his team and scream at his son, and every other son, 13, all 13 boys, on his, equally, He'll so treat them. Right? But he, I respect him, he has a certain amount of work ethic, he's organized, he's most highly organized, and his team, usually wins every year, and every out. Very disciplined guy. I think that was great for Derek. I don't think he's a believer, but he has no fear. He's a little bit over too much. He's a little too much. You'll you let a pitcher... His parents, grandparents are sitting, you know, 80-year-old grandparents are watching, and he's just screaming at him. Right? I kind of laugh. i like, this is like crazy. These are 12-year-olds, 11, 12-year-olds. and He's yelling at them. But somehow he gets through to them, and they do very well. Well, you know, in the church, it's so easy to please the leaders, the elders, pastors, and flock shepherds, and other men. We live in light. Our lives, our outlook on life, is sometimes in light of what other people, other people think, and we do everything as a reaction to that. You know, we are not in the business. Our life isn't about pleasing other men, pleasing, but pleasing God. You know, I kind of like it when people stand up to me. You know. You know, one time I asked a flock shepherd, I asked him to step down. I had concerns in his life. I asked him to step down. And he called me about a week later and said, Bob, you know, it's hard for me to do what you asked me to do. I want to shepherd my flock. And I appreciated that because, first of all, if I tell a shepherd to step down and kind of, okay, thanks, Bob, see you later. You know, who can I turn this over to? It's like, then I know I made the right decision, right? But when there's a fight in a man because he loves his flock, then okay, let's continue on. I saw, saw his love for the flock. Let's continue on. That's the kind of thing. It's like he's not afraid to stand up to an elder or stand up to anybody else, but at least show his heart because his motivation was right because he loved his flock. It's not because of his own glory but he wanted to shepherd. He wanted to do the work. And I respect that. Right? Again, it was because he wanted to please God by shepherding his flock. And that's how we should continue. In all areas of our ministry, all areas of life, we should do things, not because other people tell us, other people want us, but because is right in God's eyes. Because we don't want our bosses, our elders, our pastors, shepherds, our friends, our wives, our husbands become an idol to us. When we try to please them, they are an idol. Some of the characteristics of people pleasers are they don't speak the truth in love. They're, they don't tell the speaker. They're afraid to tell the, speak the truth in love. They say yes when they ought to say no. Right, peer pressure, that type of thing. Right, they're indecisive. They're harder to follow biblical principle rather than the feelings of certain people. They're afraid to follow certain personal convictions, hopefully biblical convictions, but they're programmed to people, please people rather than God. They're crippled, and they're faced with difficult decisions. They're timid when they're in sharing their faith. They can't evangelize. They're afraid to talk to unbelievers. Or Lastly, they don't take counsel very well. They respond defensively. Second to last, go real quickly here, is not to be falsely humble. False humility. In 1621, Robert Burton wrote this. False humility is when they are proud in their humility. Humility, Proud in their humility. This is taking a biblical virtue and is twisting it and making it a sin. False humility is pride masquerading, masquerading in humility. And false humility is humility which contrived and controlled by the human will. Because remember, humility comes from Christ. It comes from grace of God. I think Koreans and Asians are like best at false humility, right? When things are tough, you know, they don't seek prayer and oh, it's okay, I'm doing fine. You know. When they slave all day cook and prepare a meal and say oh that was great Me, oh no that was nothing I just put together in two hours <laughs> false humility that's why I appreciated Pastor Dan's sermon teaching to us when he opened his heart to us at the retreat because not to reach out when you're in need when you're hurt when you're spiritually sick not to reach out that's pride that's false humility saying I'm okay I can deal with this on my own even my own prayer The intent may be good, but that's false humility. That's pride. Humble person says, Brother, I need help. I need prayer. I covet your prayer. Please pray for me. And you open your heart. You expose yourself. And say, I need your help. I'm weak. I'm depressed. Right? That's why I think in the small groups, in your flock groups as you start up this year, the shallow sharing comes from false humility or pride. The power of the strength of small groups is when you open up and share your weaknesses. Lastly is live life Especially in ministry and church, in light of other believers, is not having an agenda, not having an agenda, not desiring to get our own way. I use this example the Scotty Pippin model, right? They're not motivated because they have to do certain things. You know, if your contentment in the church is influenced by whether we serve, or where you serve and how you serve in particular ministries, you have an agenda. Or do you serve when you have, actually just receive praise? Do you serve to display your talents? Do you have a hard time saying, accepting no or wait? You know, having an agenda is very presumptuous upon God is presuming upon God and even other men it's self-confidence pride and boldness in themselves even sometimes in the best intention to serve purely serving as I mentioned number one is not having an agenda serve wherever you need me to serve I heard at Grace Community Church a pastor became a senior almost a high level pastor for the first several years all he did was serve coffee he was a seminarian, a pastor title. All he did was serve coffee for a couple of years. A humble person. I was blessed by that. Didn't have agenda. Many, too many seminarians come out of seminary wanting to preach the word. That's good, but is that in your best interest or in your best interest of the church, best interest of the body of believers in your local church? Or you're seeking your own because I have certain talents. I could do certain things. I want to do certain things. I want to serve. Again, okay, the intentions may be good, but is that the best for you or in the church, more importantly? I think that sometimes there's an improper boldness of men to be encouraged to misapply this model to love the church simply whatever you could do and serve it and love the people in it to me when a man walks in those doors his ability to preach doesn't impress me his ability to lead worship doesn't impress me the most important ability that person needs to have is the ability to love Cornerstone, love its people. That's the only criteria. If you could do that, whatever you're doing, I know you do it well. You'll do it unto God's grace. You want to love people. you want to love Cornerstone and people. That's the number one criterion. As a humble person, it's not about ourselves. It's not about pleasing other people but about pleasing God you know this is a tough road most difficult of sins that we deal with in our lives we can't do this on our own with our own strength our own might let's attempt to be humble as a church an endeavor to kill pride in our lives deal with it and then every one of us looks up the mirror in the morning and say I'm a prideful person. God, help me to kill my pride. I think as a church, when we do that, we, on our knees, we cry out to God. I think God will really change us. I pray that that would be the death which God changes us internally rather than anything else. We could be at Bell Intermediate for the next 10 years, exact same size. If God changes Zero in the breadth of ministry, but 100 in the depth of ministry in our hearts as we kill pride. May God be praised. We give all glory to God. Let's pray. Our Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks first for our salvation, Lord. We deserve nothing we have nothing and we live in light of the cross yet we are so prideful we are so not humble Lord help us each day to deal with our sin of pride that we be humble before men and ultimately humble before you will you grant us grace and change our hearts little by little to kill pride in our lives and in our hearts in Jesus name